Look, who is this that cometh out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all the powders of the merchant? Behold his bed, which is Solomon's. Threescore valiant men are about it, of the valiant of Israel. They all hold swords, being experts in war. Every man has his sword upon his thigh because of fear in the night. King Solomon made himself a chariot of the wood of Lebanon. He made the pillars thereof of silver, the bottom thereof of gold, the covering of it of purple, the midst thereof being paved with love for the daughters of Jerusalem. Go forth, O ye daughters of Zion, and behold King Solomon, with the crown wherewith his mother crowned him in the day of his espousals, and in the day of the gladness of his heart. There's actually no mention of the claiming of the bride and bringing her to the king before verse 6 here, but it's clearly implied, says H.A. Ironside. The bridegroom comes to fulfill his promise to make her his own. We have a picture of the shepherd, the country shepherd king who returns for his bride. He arrives with a wedding party and his entire entourage. He ascends or arises out of the wilderness like a pillar, like a cloud of smoke, vapor, dust. It can even be translated as anger. The procession is stirring up a lot of dust in the desert, like an angry storm. It's also perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with the sense of fumigation from incense. Whoa! If we see the analogy correctly, we can see that Possibly Jesus? When was the last time you saw him in the scriptures? Wasn't it at his burial? And then coming to talk to Mary. And she recognized his voice. He had been prepared for burial with so many spices. Was this odor, this fragrance, was it still on him? Is this a coincidence? I don't think so, because God never wastes a word or a phrase, anything in the Bible. It sure seems mind-blowing right now. In verse 7, we behold a bed that Solomon's entourage is carrying. The valiant men of Israel are protecting it. It's like a covered traveling sofa for his bride. In verse 9, we see the second chariot, his limo, the king's limousine. It was called a chariot of wood. In Hebrew culture, it was traditional for the bride to be carried to the wedding, chuppah, which represented the groom's home or a covering for the bride. In verse 10, we see that he made the pillars thereof of silver, the bottom thereof of gold, and the covering of it of purple the midst thereof being paved with love or by the daughters of Jerusalem, who the ladies of the court made a purple tapestry for the inside. Purple is the color of royalty. A foundation of gold? Does that remind you of streets of gold in heaven? Pillars of silver? That reminds me of Jesus talking to the Philadelphia church 
where they are promised never to have to go in or out any more of his presence, but they will be pillars in the new heaven. The analogies are so rich. In verse 11, the daughters of Zion, or those in the city of Zion, were encouraged to go, behold the king with the crown wherewith his mother crowned him on the day of his espousals. Historically, it was a wedding crown that was from Bathsheba to Solomon. And their attention would definitely be on them. For historically, in this Hebrew culture, every groom was a king and every bride was considered a queen on their wedding day. And their prayers on this wedding day would be more powerful than any other. So the people of Zion would seek them out to receive their prayers for that day. I did a bit more research on the Hebrew culture and the historical facts. Historically, the bridegroom's crown was made of myrrh and roses. Our King Jesus' crown that was forced upon him when he was on the cross was a crown of thorns. Mohar equaled or is translated as the bride's price that was paid to the father of the bride by the bridegroom. Interestingly, it is the blood of Jesus that paid for the price of his bride. Historically, the bride would agree or not agree when she was presented with an offer of marriage. We accept Jesus as a gift or not. He does not force himself on us. In times past, the bride was given gifts at this time. The church, we, the bride of Christ, were given the Holy Spirit and his gifts. Historically, the Jewish bride would go through a mikvah, which was a ritual cleansing that represented the changing of authority from the father to her husband. Now, through 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Romans 7, 4, we see that we, the bride of Christ, are washed in the water of the word. We are spiritually engaged or betrothed. We are dead to the law and betrothed to Jesus. Out with the old covenant and in with the new. The chuppah was a bridal chamber, a, a room at the father's house, where the marriage would be consummated. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you in my father's house. And one day soon we will be there and enjoy the marriage supper of the lamb with him. We've been on the lookout through this study for our relationship with Jesus. An analogy, all the analogies in here to recognize our relationship with him. But if we also apply it to our marriages today, we would learn something. The spiritual excursion out in the desert can actually teach us something. What does a maiden desire in a relationship? Just as we saw in the first chapters, she desires safety and security, oneness with her spouse. What a picture of Solomon. He depicts provision and protection here in the desert as he shows up with the divan, the sofa, 
and all his valiant men to protect his bride. A boy must grow up to be a man before he can be a good husband and provide for her. The maiden, she saw his strength and provision and protection as a good thing, which brings her heart to honor and respect him. She's not threatened by his strength, and a good man doesn't use that strength to control her. Marriage counseling sessions usually come down to, He doesn't love me. Well, she doesn't respect me. In Ephesians chapter 5, God tells us we're wired differently. And he tells husbands, love your wives. And he tells the wives, respect your husbands. Wives want love. Husbands want respect. Wives are to give respect. And husbands are to give love. Can we work this out? It's probably not best to wait for the other one to go first. You go first. Of course, this is all an idealistic picture of marriage that God paints here that even Solomon didn't hold on to. We'll see that in the future. For now, cling to Jesus. Seek oneness with him. And as you do, as you draw closer to Jesus, you'll draw closer to each other. Thanks so much for listening to Moments with Moni. If you'd like to share anything on this topic, come on over to my Facebook page, Moments with Moni, and we can discuss it. Thanks for listening. God bless you.